morning, Stonebridge. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor here. Man, it's so good worshiping with y'all. And that's really, that's really what we're talking about today, is that we would love Jesus. And not that we would just love Jesus, but that the next generation, our kids and our kids' kids, would love Jesus. And be able to stand here and sing that wholeheartedly. So, if you would turn to Psalm 78 with me. We've been going through um, the Psalms this summer. And we're going to look at Psalm 78, 1 through 8 today. And while you're going there, I want to share with you the results of a study by Lifeway Research called the Nothing Less Study. And they, uh, they did a poll of 2,000 parents of young adults of Protestant evangelicals. Okay, and they evaluated each uh, adult child's spiritual health. And answered questions about each child's upbringing. And they came up with 15 results um, and 15 characteristics that were predictive of spiritual health in adult children. So how, what things do we need to do to ensure that our children are spiritually healthy, loving Jesus, standing here 20 years from now or wherever, standing in a church, not just in a church, but as they go, loving Jesus and declaring that they love Jesus. What were some of those factors? So what was surprising wasn't what made that list to me. What was more surprising is what didn't make the list. So here's what didn't make the list. Um, I, have, you, I know that you can't read that. There's a book out on the, uh, a little booklet out on the table in the foyer. You can look at that later. I just want to highlight a few of those, okay? The family ate meals together at least once a week. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's actually a great thing to do. It just didn't make the list in this, um, in this survey for the top 15 spiritual factors. Um, the family went on vacations and fun outings. Or one-on-one outings, you know, daddy-daughter dates, um, mother-daughter, mother-son dates, that sort of thing. That's great. That's cool. I do those things. It just didn't have uh, that significant of uh, um, effect. Uh, The choice between homeschool, public school, Christian school, or private school didn't have, didn't make the top 15, which was interesting. Um, The child playing sports, getting good grades, or having a job as a teen. Again, these are all great things. Didn't make the list. So what were they? What were the 15 influencers of spiritual health? There were three categories. The first category had the the smallest impact. The next category had mild impact. But there was one thing that made the most impact on determining someone's spiritual health. So here are the smallest impact ones. You can go look at them later. I'll highlight some. If it's got a negative, it just means that that was a negative factor. So a child did not want to go to church as a teen. That, that had a significant effect. Child's best friend was an influence to follow Christ while growing up. That was significant. Child is a female. So great enhancements. Are you in the house? So you, you got one up on us because you got all girls, okay? Um, doesn't mean that girls are better. It just means that it's statistics, right? It's just a factor. So... Um, the moderate impact ones, we'll go to that. Child regularly spent time in prayer while growing up. Child regularly served in church while growing up. Child listened primarily to Christian music. Doesn't mean they just listened to Christian music, but primarily. And child participated in church mission trips or projects. But the largest impact, and this shouldn't surprise any of us, was that the child regularly read their Bible while growing up. Child regularly read their Bible. You can put the lights back up. In Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8, it basically says this. 
you need to teach the next generation God. You need to teach the next generation God. It's clear what the next generation needs most is God through his word, as we just saw in that study. So let's check out Psalm 78. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open up my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. And we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. He starts out, verses 1 through 3, and he basically is saying, hey, wake up. What I'm about to tell you is, has, has huge implications. Okay, it's like when you get a text and it's in all caps and they, they follow it up um, with, with some emojis and a, and a gif or a gif, however you say that. Um, and, and, and maybe a meme. They're like, wake up. Hey, this is really, really important. They're really trying to get your attention. Okay, and he's saying, hey, pay attention to what? To my teaching, to the words of my mouth, a parable dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known. All of that meaning, hey, wake up. I'm going to tell you some really wise words. Sometimes in parables, sometimes they're going to be kind of dark, things that are going to be hard to hear. So I encourage you, read the rest of Psalm 78, and you can see what happens there. But Psalm 78, 9, verse 9 through 72, is a historical psalm that recounts Israel's history. The people of God failing to do what verses 1 through 8 call us to do. And verses 1 through 8 call us to teach the next generation God. Psalm 78 is a warning. Don't be like the Israelites. This is such a huge deal. Because think of it. Our mission as a church, as Stonebridge Church, is the mission of Psalm 78, 1 through 8. It's to teach the next generation and help the next generation know and obey Jesus. Now, I moved here just about four years ago today. And so it was kind of nostalgic, you know, mowing my lawn this week. I'm like, ah, I was mowing the lawn for the first time four years ago and um, had some tears. No, I didn't really have some tears, but it was kind of nostalgic, kind of fun thinking about that and how God's really used that and grown me and, and uh, yeah, just clearly called us here and we love being here. But just thinking about the first day I was here to today, one thing hasn't changed at all. And that is my passion to help the next generation know and obey Jesus. And so I'm just as excited to jump into this as I was then. So let's get to it. Verse 4. It says to teach. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that he has done. We're supposed to teach what? We're supposed to teach the next generation what God has done. 
first and foremost. What God has done, his glorious deeds, it says in verse 4. He gave them their own land. Give the Israelites the promised land. Verse 55, we learn from that. You keep going. Psalm 78 is this history of Israel. In verse 70, he provided them with David as their king. And sure, he screwed up a bit, but he was a great king overall and called a man after God's own heart, a great leader for Israel. He's like, teach them what God has done, the glorious deeds that he's done, and the wonders that he has done. What wonders is he talking about? He's talking about the miracles that happen in the book of Exodus. Verse 12, he talks about the plagues of, uh, that were sent uh, to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And you can look at Exodus 7 through 12, or you can hop on Netflix and watch Prince of Egypt, or both. Um, good movie, by the way. But that's what he's talking about, those wonders. In verse 13, we see the parting of the Red Sea, where God delivered his people. And Pharaoh was not so fortunate. And then... Verse 14, he led the whole nation with a cloud by day and a pillar of, or yeah, and a pillar of fire by night. Now, I don't know about you, but God has definitely led me to do certain things in my life, but he's never been like, here's some fire, just follow that and, and I'll lead you. He's never done that for me, but he did that for the nation of Israel. And he's saying, hey, remember that? That was miraculous. He's saying, hey, remember when I provided water out of the rocks? Verse 15, and then verse 23 to 29, he's like, hey, remember when I provided bread in the middle of the desert for you? Manna and meat in the form of quail in the middle of the desert for you as I led you to the land that I promised you? He's like, you need to teach the next generation what God has done. You also need to teach them who God is in verse 4. It says to tell of his might. See, all his glorious deeds and his wonders and his miracles tell of his character. And they tell of his power. You want to understand God's love? You want to understand his, his power? You want to understand his justice, his wisdom, his grace? You first need to understand his power. Because all of his other characteristics are powerful. It's his powerful love. It's his powerful justice. It's his powerful grace and goodness. A fundamental understanding of God must begin with His power. That's why in Psalm 111, which Joey taught a few weeks ago, we saw 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord or the awe of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 78 gives us a great overview of biblical history. And it shows us that God is powerfully compassionate. So verse 38 if you just look over, maybe it's a page, maybe it's on the same page for you. It says, yet he, God, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. See, sometimes God gets pegged as being this moral monster in the Old Testament who's just angry all the time. But I'm telling you, he tells about all the things that God has done and then tells about how in spite of all that, they sinned and turned their back on God. And God responds this way, with powerful compassion. See, if anything, God is too patient, at least in my mind, when I look at the Old Testament. So we need to teach our children, the next generation, about what God has done and about who God is. 
And thirdly, about what he asks of us. Verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. Saying, hey, they gave us the Ten Commandments. He gave us the law. He gave us, he made a covenant with us. And he gave us these laws for our flourishing. Not to, not to put us in a straitjacket so we can't have any fun, which is how often people view uh, God's word. No, that's not what God's laws and rules are for. They're actually to give us life. Psalm 119, 156 says, Give me life according to your rules. The New Living Translation says, Let me be revived by following your regulations. And I know that just like, that goes against a lot of what we, is intuitive to us, right? We're like, how does, how does life come out of rules? How, does, how, does, how do I get revived from regulations? But that's exactly what they do. God set this, this world up to, and, and designed the world to work in a certain way. And so if we abide by those rules, it's actually going to produce the most flourishing in our lives. And he's saying, hey, we need to teach the next generation what God asks of us because it's actually for our best. And so for us, we need to teach the next generation the Bible. We need to teach them the rules in it and that they are for our good. We need to teach them to read it, to study it, to savor it, and to love it. Psalm 19, if you can just thumb over there quick. Psalm 19, 7 through 11. This is, this is how we want our kids and our kids' kids to view the Bible. The law of the Lord is perfect. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So before we even get to our kids, what about you? Is that God's word to you? Do you savor it? Do you love it? Is it better than gold? Is it better than money to you? Is it better than the best steak you've ever eaten? Okay, is, is God's word beautiful? Do you crave it? Because if you don't, your kids certainly will not. We have to set the example for them. We need to teach them what God has done, who he is, and what he asks of us. And what he asks of us is found in the Bible. And, and the Bible is so good. And if we, can, if we can inspire our kids to read their Bibles growing up, it will have the greatest impact on their spiritual health in the future. I know that to be true. I'm a living example of that. The thing that impacted me the most growing up, sure, I mean, going to church was good. All the influences I had was, were great and had an impact. But nothing had greater impact than me running to his word in high school, especially in college, when I was just trying to figure life out and I was just confused and, and hurt and things were just going nuts, hormones, I mean, just all that. And I'm running to his word and God spoke to me. And focused my, my heart and my life on Jesus and set the trajectory for my life. 
So we need to teach them the Bible. You know, the best way to teach my kids that Mountain Dew is the best drink in existence, which it is, um, at least best tasting. I know it's terrible for you, but you know, um, the way you do that is not by telling my kids, hey, drink Mountain Dew, which I don't yet. It's to drink it in front of them, right? It's, it's, it's much easier caught than taught. And that's true of just about everything in life. So we need to teach the next generation God and his word. Next, we need to teach the next generation. Here's the next generation part. Verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob, pointing a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. We need to teach them to our kids. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7 says this. It's up on the screen. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You need to teach them what God has done, who he is and what he asks of us everywhere you go. Our children's ministry, our kids' ministry is called D6 because of this passage, Deuteronomy 6. Why? Because we desire our kids not just to learn about God here, but to learn about God as they go through life from y'all. Our, I was struck by verse 6. Look at verse 6 with me. 78 verse 6. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Here's why we teach the next generation God. We don't do it simply for their sake. We do it for their kids' kids' sake. And for their kids' 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 sake. And on and on. This is massive. If you are a parent in the room, even if you're not a parent, everybody in this room has the responsibility to teach the next generation God. And it's, it's massively important. We better make sure what we're teaching them is worth it. So what are you teaching your kids that's worth passing on to their kids and to their kids? Well, back to this study by Lifeway. We're chasing the wrong things. They came up with this. So few American parents include their kids' godliness or faith in their definition of successful parenting. I know you can't see that very well, so I'm just going to highlight it. 25% say, my child has good values. Okay? They said, that's, that's how I can be a successful parent. Teach them good values. That's fine. That's good. 25% that my child becomes a happy adult. 22% that my child finds success in life. that my child is a good person, however you define that. 17% that my child graduates from college. 15% that my child lives independently. And 9% that my child is godly or has faith in God. That's alarming. Good values. See, even good kids with good values are needy sinners. Just be a parent and you'll discover that very quickly. Just observe some kids for a while and you'll, you'll figure that out very quickly. Teach them how to be happy. Well, our happiness right now is very momentary. 
Joy in Christ is eternal. Teaching them how to be successful. Why? So that they can make more money and have more power and more stuff and more comfort. Why? So that their kids can have more money and stuff and power and comfort. I mean, it's fine to want your kids to be successful. That's good. We should want our kids to be successful. But if we're defining success how I just did, does it, do any of those things matter in a thousand years? Absolutely not. If by success you mean helping your kids live on mission for Jesus, absolutely go for it. So I, I ran into this stuff, and I just want to let you know I was very convicted myself. I realized that I teach my kids to be kind and forgiving and even make them apologize and that sort of thing. But rarely do I point them to the kind and forgiving one when I do that, Jesus. If I continue to do that and don't bring Jesus into it more and more and more, I'm going to raise perfectionistic goody-two-shoes who don't see their own sin and certainly don't see their need for a Savior because they've got it all together. And that's not what I'm called to do, and that's not what I want to do, and I hope that's not what you want to do. We need to teach them to know and obey Jesus. We need to teach them to love His Word, to love talking to Him in prayer, and to love His people. So how are you leveraging your life to help the next generation know and obey Jesus? If you're a parent, how are you doing that with your kids beyond just showing up on Sunday morning? I mean, this is a great start. But it's not enough. And if you're not a parent, how are you doing this with other kids in our church? Because here's the thing. I plead with you. I need your help raising my kids. I can't do it on my own. My kids need the influence of all of you. Encouraging them to seek after Jesus and love Jesus with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. We need everyone. We need singles, empty nesters, young, old. We need everyone to help teach the next generation God. And so the last part, teach them God. Verses 7 and 8. Why am I not saying, am I just using bad English, bad grammar? Why am I not, am I not saying just teach them about God? Because that's not what we should do. That's just heady information. The goal isn't knowledge. While they do need to know about God, that's not the end goal. The end goal is life transformation of children. The goal is not passing on information. It's about passing on a heart for God. My prayer for my kids, almost every night, as I'm praying for them, is not that they would get to know more about God. No, it's that they would seek God and love God. That's way beyond knowledge. Sure, you have to know about Him in order to love Him, but, but it doesn't stop with just knowing about Him. We need to teach them God. We need to teach the next generation to hope in God. And that's what verse 7 says. Why should we teach the next generation God? So that they should set their hope in God. So, for them, at this time when this was written, it was to hope in a God who time and time again proved faithful to the nation of Israel. But for us, it's beyond that. 
It's to hope in the God who proved his faithfulness through the cross, who humbled himself, lived, died, rose from the dead for our sin and gave us eternal life with him and gave us his Holy Spirit now. And that's more than worth hoping in. We teach the next generation about God, but not just about God. We teach them God so that they will find their hope in the mess of this world so that they can stand here and mean it when they sing all my days. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. So they can mean that when they sing it and other songs like it. Why do we teach the next generation God? So they'll hope in God, so that they'll remember God. Verse 7, and not forget the works of God. Eric Smith did a great job last week. If you didn't get a chance, go listen to that message on Psalm 103. And Psalm 103 and Eric both encouraged us to remember God. To remember his blessings, past, present, future. We need to teach the next generation to remember. Otherwise, they'll just be tempted to forget. They need to remember God as they're growing up when they're facing sexual temptation. They need to remember God when they're faced with skepticism and doubt. They need to remember God when life is just crashing down around them and they just want to give up on God. We need to teach them to remember God and His unchanging Word. Why teach the next generation God? So they'll hope in God, so they'll remember God, and lastly, that they will obey God. Hope in God and remembrance of God without obedience to God is worse than having nothing to do with God to begin with. Hoping in God And remembering God without obedience to God is worse than having nothing to do with Him to start with. Because you're saying, yeah, yep, I I know God. I know He's worth hoping in. Yeah, I remember the stuff He did. I just don't care. Yeah, I received God's sacrificial gift of grace. Yeah, I remember how faithful and good God has been. But I don't care. I'm doing it my own way. Hebrews 10, 26 and 27 doesn't sugarcoat anything. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. I don't know how to sugarcoat that. Faith without works is dead. Obedience has to happen, will happen, if you truly believe. We need to teach the next generation about God so that they will obey God. Because here's my natural bent. My natural bent is to live sinfully. My natural bent is to get angry and irritable with people around me. Just ask my wife. My natural bent is to let my emotions trump what is true. My natural bent is to just feed my own comfort instead of serving my wife and my kids and other people. It's because I'm a sinner. And so is everyone else in this room. We need to teach the next generation not to be perfectionists. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to make some mistakes along the way. But teach them that obedience is a big deal to God. Just because 
you're saved from your sins doesn't mean you, you have license to just keep on sinning deliberately. So what happens if we don't teach the next generation God? Verse 8 tells us that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Here's what will happen. Instead of hoping in God, they'll hope in God's. Lowercase g. It says at the end of verse 8, their spirit was not faithful to God. They'll put their hope in idols that aren't God. Things that actually make terrible gods and leave you empty and broken. If we don't teach the next generation God, they'll forget God and their hearts will not be steadfast like it says in verse 8. In 78, verse 32, it says, despite God's wonders, they did not believe. That's what they'll do. You go, yeah, God's done some great things. I'm not believing in Him. They won't even give it a second thought before delving deep into sin. And thirdly, if we don't teach the next generation God, they'll disobey God. A stubborn and rebellious generation, it says. They'll live for themselves. They'll self-destruct, and sometimes, quite literally, they will self-destruct. There's no magic formula for getting kids to hope in, remember, and obey Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit can change a person's heart. But if we don't teach them God, who will? If I don't do it, if you don't do it, who's going to do it? We might as well just throw in the towel today as a church. Because if we do not teach the next generation about Jesus and teach them to love Him and hope in Him and remember Him and obey Him, if we fail to do that, this church is going to die with us. The church will die with our generation if we don't teach the next generation about God. That's why I'm so passionate about this. That's why our church is founded on this. whole generation will forget and disobey God. So what can I do? Well, I'm glad you asked. The simplest way to help the next generation know and obey Jesus here at Stonebridge Church is to volunteer in our D6 children's ministry this fall. So I want to show you a video from our D6 leadership team, and they'll tell you a little bit more about it. Check it out. Last spring, we had to cut our first and second grade class. And some people left our church because of it. They rightfully wanted their kids to have age-appropriate Bible teaching and wanted to be in here worshiping undistractedly so that they could be more equipped to teach their kids about God during the week. But I urge you, be part of the solution. Help. Don't run. Come to church to give, not to just get. And paradoxically, you'll end up getting more in other ways than you ever expected. I mean, I think Jesus said something about that, right? It's better to give than receive. See, we desire to have... Infants through fifth grade with age-specific Bible teaching. We have great cur- curriculum 
called uh, the Gospel Project that that walks through um, walks through the Bible, and so they're teaching them stories. I'm like, wow, I never got that story when I was a kid. That would have been really fun. Um, so it's not just Noah and 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 the popular ones. We're going through the whole Bible with them on their level, and we need 22 more volunteers for our two services which will be at 9 and 11, starting after Labor Day on September 8th. So you could, what's great about that? A large reason why we're doing two services, yes, we need more space, we need more room for people in here, but more than that, it allows people to serve a service and then attend a service. So right now, we have D6 volunteers. Some of you are sitting right here this morning that volunteer, when you volunteer, you, you miss the whole service for that Sunday. And I thank you. If you're involved, thank you so much for being involved. Um, it means a ton. And, and what you do doesn't go unnoticed by God. But we're, we're working hard to try to make that happen. But we need everybody's help. So if you consider Stonebridge Church your home, please consider serving. Even if it's not your cup of tea, maybe this is a way that God is calling you to sacrifice. See, love is actually sacrifice. God's greatest act of love towards us in coming and dying for us was sacrificial. So maybe God is calling you to to do something sacrificial. So you can sign up on the table out in the foyer, or you can text that number right there. It's not my personal number, it's the church number. Um, But we'll get back to you within a day or two. Um, just telling you more about it and helping you get connected. But I urge you to really think about this and pray about it. But Psalm 78, verses 5 through 7, again says this, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. What are you going to do with this passage? You cannot be neutral. If you do nothing with this passage, the next generation suffers. How? Because they are going to see another adult that claims to follow Jesus, disobey Jesus. I don't mean just serving D6. I mean, what are you going to do with this passage to reach the next generation, to teach the next generation God. If you do nothing, you're setting an example as someone else that just comes week in and week out to church, says, I love Jesus, but does nothing with what he teaches. Do you want to teach the next generation that? Why not sign up for D6? That's my question. Why not talk to Josh about being a youth leader? Why not open up your Bible or a children's Bible with your kids and talk about it this week? Why not do something? Today, if you hear God's God's voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's pray. God, I pray that everyone in here would catch the vision that isn't my vision, that is your vision, God, of reaching the next generation. You've designed it, so that is our role, God. You could just do it yourself, but you have decided to use us as weak, 
And as messed up as we are, you choose to use us to teach the next generation to hope in you, to remember you, to obey you, to love you, God. So I pray, Father, I pray boldly that those 22 people that we need would sign up today. And that because of it, lives would be changed for eternity. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.